Christians, right? I mean, that would be us. Have you obtained like precious faith with us through the knowledge of righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ? That would be everybody. But then if you go back, because this is his second epistle to chapter to 1 Peter, I'm sorry, chapter 1, uh, it'll give you a little bit more. It doesn't give you a whole lot more. Listen to what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and uh, Athenia. So it's to the strangers. And if you remember back when we were doing this the first time through, well, back when First Peter, way back when, um, that strangers is actually understood two or three different ways. It could be uh, we are all, the Bible says, pilgrims and strangers wandering through this land because we have a home in heaven. This land is not our home. And so we are pilgrims and strangers. It could be that concept of just all Christians, which would really fit well with 2 Peter chapter 1, since it's a generic statement about Christians in general. Uh, some would argue that you know, Peter's writings were typically to Jewish people, and so some would say that this is the Jewish people that are scattered throughout, uh, who are also believers. Okay, I'm not going to get involved in that, uh, in that so much. It really doesn't matter to me. Which of these you want to look at is still the Word of God, and that's where we're at now in 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into this study. Father, we love you, and we are uh, thankful for your Word. God, teach us through it. Give us teachable hearts tonight. Give us a calmness of heart and mind. May we not be distracted by the weather and by our schedules and other things that might be crowding in upon our thoughts and give you a few moments to just uh, speak to our hearts. And Father, we will thank and praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I forgot to do something today, so we're going to do it right now. How's that sound? I have this pet peeve. Uh, I teach at a Christian school, and I think that uh, Christians struggle to talk about Jesus. I just do. Not even so much to, uh, to the lost. I think we're probably almost better at talking to the lost sometimes than we are in talking to each other. We get up from church, we walk out of here, and we're immediately talking about the heat that is about to punch us in the face. And it is warm out there. That's why the teenagers are going to stay inside tonight. They were going to be outside. We immediately turn to the latest sports thing, whatever. So uh, whenever I, uh, I teach my juniors and seniors, we have a time in which we uh, host another class, and they're not allowed to talk about anything but the Lord for the time that they're, in, that they're together. Now, I'm going to tell you that it's a wonderful idea, if you know anything about teenagers, unless you have an adult standing there with each paired-off teenager, you know, making that happen, it probably isn't 100%. But my challenge to the class is, you know, we're in a Christian school, and we, don't, we struggle to find time to talk about the Lord. So here's what you're going to do, all right? Not your spouse, not anyone in your family. It doesn't count. So let's stand up. We better start just standing up. You are going to go tell someone in this building uh, something wonderful that the Lord has done for you this week. You got it? So you have one minute. Go.
All right, you can go ahead and find your seats back again. I appreciate that. That's good practice. You can be seated. That's good practice, all right? So that's practice for on your way out. See how that works? It's really not that hard to talk to the, about the Lord to people who love the Lord. and It does fit with the uh, message eventually. So we're going to be in chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 1. This second epistle, he says, beloved, I now write unto you. So whoever the recipients were, they're now getting their second epistle. You get that idea? So this intended for the same group of people that he wrote to the first time, this second epistle now, he is writing unto them. Uh, and in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Uh, If we were to spend some time, we don't have time tonight to do this, but to spend some time in remembering. What is he wanting them to remember? What do you think? Without reading the rest of it, what do you think he's wanting to remember? Okay, it might be when they got saved, right? That's always a wonderful testament. Do you remember that song, Um, I Love to Tell the Story, and then the, the last verse, I think it is, or whatever verse, to, for, to those who know it best. Why? Because even people who know Christ, you know what? They're hungering and thirsting to hear it. Just No, but it never gets old, does it? It never gets old to hear about how the Lord has stepped into somebody's life. And, so that'd be one. What's another thing he wants us to remember? God's goodness. We might spend some time as we were dealing with these things talking about how good God has been to us. What else? His mercy. We could keep going, right? You get the idea. He's stirring them up to remembrance, and that's one of the things he wants to do. Uh, in verse 2, now then, this is a, a, kind of a, an interesting little statement that he puts in here, and it's a good, a good New Testament Christian statement. Look at what it says in verse 2. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. What are the words which are spoken before by the Holy Prophets? The Old Testament. Is the Old Testament important to the church today? Yes, it is. For those people who would try to say, well, you know, the Old Testament doesn't mean much. The Apostle Peter writes to this group of people and says, hey, I want you to pay attention to what God said in the Old Testament. I will grant you that there are some books that are more difficult to get through than others, especially in the Old Testament. I know that. But he says to them specifically, don't bypass the Old Testament. That's an important part of your spiritual growth. And so I would say to us, Southeast Baptists, let's not bypass the Old Testament. Let's let God's word speak. So he says, pay attention to what the old holy prophets had to say, and then also pay attention to what this New Testament is going to be saying as they're currently writing it out and as he's writing it himself. Uh, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, and I love this. I love how the Lord works things out. All right? So the message this morning was not prepared with the message tonight in mind, but look at verse 3. It says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Do you know there are people who are going around saying, you know, I've heard this for years, and the Lord just simply, in fact, most of us who have known the Lord for quite a while, we've heard this for years, and if we're not careful, we come to the conclusion, ah, you know, I, 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 we may never say it out loud because we are too mature, 
to say that out loud. We may not be scoffers outwardly, but inwardly we are acting as if the Lord's return is not even something that we should consider. We've quit living with the Lord's return in mind. And he says, hey, listen, in the last days, that's what's going to happen. There are going to be scoffers that are going to say, hey, I've been hearing about the Lord's coming for years. For since the, day, or since the fathers fell asleep or died, all these things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And, you know, so he's saying, you know what, we've been hearing this for so long, and people have come, and people have gone, and nothing's ever changed, it's always the same. And you know what they'll be saying right up to the moment the trumpet blasts? It's not going to happen, it's going to be the same, everything's the same. Uh, That's what they're going to be saying, and all of a sudden there's going to be the sound of a trumpet, and away we go. Um... We need to be paying attention. Skip on down because I'm going to run out of time here. If I'm not careful, I want to hit to some things. Go down to verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Can somebody tell me, please, talk to me, how do, how do people misuse this verse? Creation. That's the big one, right? The big one is creation. One day is as a thousand years, so you know... When God uh, created the world in six days, it doesn't have to be six literal days because one day is as a thousand years. Can I give you two answers to that? God knew that we would be stubborn, brutish, for those of you who remember that from Proverbs, people. He knew that. So he told us what a day is. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Right? He told us. And then he gives us another one, which is even more compelling. He said, six days shalt thou labor, because it took the Lord six days. And on the seventh day, you can rest. Well, let's put that in thousands of years for a moment. Why are you taking days off, you lazy slackers? You don't get a chance. You got another 5,748, whatever, I'm just making... (laughs) You get the idea. That doesn't make any sense. Six days shalt thou labor. It's one day. That's one way it's misused, but that's not really uh, what is being spoken of here. This is still talking about the Lord's coming and how that the Lord is patient. Look at verse 9. He goes on to to, uh, really put this into perspective. For the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as men count slackness. That promise is his return. Go back and look at it. It's talking about the Lord is going to come back. This is a certainty. And the only reason the Lord is holding off his return is this right here. Look at the end of verse 9. As men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know the reason why the Lord hasn't come back yet? Because his desire is that someone else might come to know Christ as their Savior. By the way, can I just throw this out there too for those people who would say, well, you know, um, uh, the Lord has chosen certain ones and not chosen certain ones, and it's all based on God's will. Can I tell you what God's will is? He does. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. That's God's will. So I don't disagree with you. It is based on God's will. And that's what his will is. He's declared it. Uh, you know, that as we need to understand this. And don't let people misuse this passage. And so God is restraining himself, so to speak, so that man 
has an opportunity to hear the gospel so that you and I have an opportunity to share the gospel yet one more time because he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief. By the way, this morning that movie that I was trying to remind you of was not left behind. It was Thief in the Night. (laughs) Yeah, as soon as I... Some of you, uh, somebody actually sent me a link so that I can go watch it on YouTube. I don't think, I don't think I want to suffer through that again. <laughs> uh, the acting is like really bad, atrociously. How many of you have seen Thief in the Night? Wow, you know, that's all of us good Christians. Uh, you know, those Christian movies, wow, they, they've come a long way. But anyway, uh, but the day of the Lord will come. This is a certainty, will come as a thief in the night. And we're going to be taken off guard by it, is the idea, in which uh, the heavens shall pass away with great noise. And so his promise is coming, and it is sure. Now, that's, we're not, we're, this is all introduction. We're trying to get to the meat of the message. So just skip on down, if you would, please, to verse 13. Verse 13. And you can read the rest of these. We're not trying to skip over them for any particular reasons. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, what he's doing is he's introducing the promises. And he's saying, listen, folks, we don't live for here. He's trying to remind, remember, we're putting into remembrance, what it's all about. It's not about the here and now. The here and now leaves us empty and hollow. The here and now leaves us tired and discouraged. And if we're living for this life, we will come up empty and short. It's not going to work. So he's reminding these folks, listen, the Lord is coming. That's a certainty. And I don't care what you've heard or what you've come to believe that, you know, I've been hearing this for years. And um, can I sing a little ditty for you? There's a song that kind of reminded me. I've heard that same old message a hundred times before. They say that Christ is coming. He could be at the door. The saints will rise to meet with him in glory. But, remember the next phrase? I shall not be moved, right? Uh, You get the idea. So anyway, uh, that's, you know, sometimes we get to, that's where we think. And he says, you know, I want you to know something for sure. It's certain. And it may take people off guard, but the Lord is coming. What our job is then is to keep in mind what we're living for. There's something greater than this world. There's something better, teenager, that this world doesn't have to offer us. And if we can quit living for the here and now and live with eternity in view, it will change our Christian walk. Verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, because we have now changed our mindset or allowed God to change our mindset and we're setting our affections on things above, not on things of the earth. We're pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. Wherefore, beloved, because ye have chosen this route, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Let's, because, because there's something greater to live for, then let's live for that other world. Let's be diligent about, remember earlier in this, chat, in this book, it was, we should be diligent to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, patience godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. Why? Because if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So because we have chosen to live with eternity in view, let's be diligent to keep our lives clean and pure and spotless. Teenagers, I feel for you. I do. It's a different world. Uh, we, I, I grew up, I, unfortunately, you can only hear stories about what America really is about. It's not the same. It's not. And I'm talking about in just a few short years. Not 100 years ago. I'm not that old. But in a few short years, things have changed so much that it's no longer the same America. And one of the biggest issues is this right here, you know? And to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Unspotted. To be diligent to say, I'm going to live with eternity in view. And that may mean that there's times that I turn this thing off and put it away so that I can focus on the things of eternity. This is what he's reminding them about. Yes, the Lord is coming. With that in mind, living for something that is greater than ourselves, living for something that is greater than this moment, living for something that is greater than this world has to offer, let's set our affections on things above. Let's be diligent to that we may be found in him, uh, of him in peace without spot and blameless. Verse 15 says, And account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, even as our... Now, there's a couple things here for us to catch. Let's stop right there at the long-suffering Lord. Remember, why is the Lord long-suffering? Okay, so others could be saved. But now, he's talking about the Lord being long-suffering for us. Now, why is the Lord long-suffering? So that we can learn to focus on things above, not on things of the earth, to clean up our lives, to allow him to change us from the inside out, that we would be spotless and blameless, that we would not have impurity, sinful things in our lives, and blameless being our relationships would be good, that we wouldn't be known as liars and thieves and, and et cetera, that our testimony would be good. And so he says, I want to remind you, the Lord's coming back, and I want to remind you that there's a greater purpose of our lives, Christian, than this moment. And he tries to push their focus back to the things above. And one of the reasons the Lord is holding off is for his children. Yes, over here is because there are others who need to come to Christ. And he is not willing that any should perish. But now he is also being long-suffering for us. So that we would not stand before him ashamed. So, that, you know, I have no fear of standing before God condemned. The condemnation is gone. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So I, I, I can never stand before Christ condemned. Never. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3 describes a life that has little to show for it. A Christian life. The Bible says that we will all give an account of ourselves to the Lord. And all of our works will be tested. And wood, hay, and stubble will burn away. And the only thing left are gold, silver, and precious stones. And what happens, at least in this preacher's mind, is that our life kind of is going through the, the furnace of God's cleansing. And what's left, I walk over and I scoop it up. And I walk over to the nail-scarred hands and feet of my Savior. And I say, I did this 
because I love you. And imagine if there's nothing there but ashes. I'm still not in condemnation. I can never be condemned. My sin debt has been paid. But I have so little to bring to the one who gives me the reason to be there for all eternity. And uh, so God says, I'm long-suffering because I want you, Christian, to focus on things that are above. I want you, Christian, to be spotless and blameless in this world. I want you, Christian, to remember that the Lord is coming back and he is keeping his promise. And it will catch us off guard like a thief in the night if we're not careful. He keeps his promise. But there's something else in verse 15 that I just throw in here because I think it's an interesting thing. I mentioned the names Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul. Tell me the one major story that comes to mind when you think of those two men together. Peter was rebuked by Paul, this up-and-comer Christian, new Christian. To Peter was a leader of the church, right? But Peter then separates himself over to be with the Jewish believers and not be embarrassed by the non-Jewish believers. And Paul rebukes him to the face. Now, that's a tough thing to do. But can I show you some of the character of Peter? And if we could learn something from the apostle Peter, look at verse 15 again. And I account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our, what's the word? Beloved brother Paul. Wow. When's the last time somebody withstood you to the face? I mean, just pointed their bony finger in your face and let you have it, and you walk away loving them. That was Peter. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, and in all, as in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things hard to be understood, which they that have unlearned and unstable rest or wrestle with, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. He said, like, listen, I want, you to, I want you to pay attention to what Paul's saying. I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying. I want you to pay attention to the Old Testament. Because God's trying to get us all to one place. And that is to love him with all our hearts and soul and mind and strength. That's where God's trying to get us. And he's long-suffering as he's working with us to get us to that point. And uh, so Paul or Peter is trying to bring them to remembrance, to stir them up. And some things are not easy to understand, right? You ever found something in the scripture you struggle to understand? Uh, if not, then we need to talk about your reading habits, probably. Uh, but um, some things are hard to understand. Let's wrap it up. Look at verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, not only does he love Paul, he loves these people, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Hey, listen, he says, Christian. Let's be careful, because this life, it's full of pitfalls and difficulties and things that are going to distract us away from the things that are important. And he says, beware. That word beware is used several times in the New Testament, is it not? Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. 
Beware of wolves coming in with sheep's clothing. We need to be aware and be alert. We can't just skip through life and expect that we're going to come out unscathed on the other end. We need to beware. He's reminding them of the responsibility that they have. But look at verse 18, and this is really where we're coming to. This is why we started with you talking to others about the Lord. It's all about verse 18. But, so he says, don't don't fall into sin. Don't slip into sin. Don't forget. Don't be a scoffer and forget that the Lord is coming. Don't get impatient on the things of God, all of these things. But instead, do this, verse 18, which sums up, really, all of this epistle. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But grow. So somebody tell me, what does it mean to grow in Christ? What does it look like? Teenager, somebody? Any teenager know? What does, it, what does it look like to grow in Christ? What does that mean? My 80-year-old teenager back here. <laughs> Love him. Love him more. That would be a good one. Love him more. What does it mean to grow in Christ? Say it again. To be more like him, right? That is really what growing in Christ is. Put off the old man, which means we need to stop and look, be aware, recognize that there's some issues in our lives that we need to put off. And it's a constant, it's a, it's a constant routine of our Christian walk. Put off the old man, renew our minds, and put on a new man to grow in Christ. If I were to ask you this, what's the last step of Christian growth you can recall taking? Don't answer, just, I'm asking. Just chew on it for a minute. How far back do you have to go to say, okay, I I remember putting off this from my life and putting on this in my life? Are we growing? Because this whole book is given to us. It starts out, add to your faith. That's how he starts it in chapter 1. And he ends the whole book with grow. The whole book is about getting us, reminding us that we're one day going to stand before God. He is going to come back. That this life is shallow, empty, and hollow, has nothing to offer. And that we need to focus on the things that are above. Are you growing? And if not, why not? What's standing in the way? Well, I know it's not the Lord, right? He's not standing in the way. The Lord is actually being long-suffering, trying to keep from getting in the way, giving us a chance to grow. It's not the Word of God. What's standing in the way is the old song, right? It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord. Standing in need of prayer. Are we growing? And I'll remind you of this and we're done. Knowledge. So we started in chapter 1. And it says, To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and the Savior Jesus Christ, My mind's going blank. Anyway, the second verse, third verse, fifth verse, seventh verse, ninth verse, all use this word knowledge. We looked at it. There's two different words for the word knowledge. Remember what they are? Gnosis and epinosis, right? To, To grow in knowledge is to add facts, so to speak. To, to just simply add knowledge to what I, it's to read, it's to, 
to talk and it's to be taught. That's knowledge. But epinosis is this. Knowledge says God answers prayer. Epinosis says, let me tell you the prayer that God answered. Epinosis has experienced God's answer to prayer. And throughout this book, he uses these two terms, gnosis and epinosis, gnosis and epinosis. And he gets to the end of this book, and he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do you think? Gnosis or epinosis? actually gnosis this one is just just simply add knowledge because you remember back in chapter one knowledge leads us to epinosis i can't have experienced knowledge until i have head knowledge an understanding of it and so he says grow in grace and the knowledge of our lord jesus christ this is how he finishes the book as he says this last phrase to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Live my life with Christ coming in mind. Live my life so that I might be without spot and blameless as I stand before him. Live my life with eternity in view and in the end, to God be the glory. Great things he hath done.